two verses to turn to, and you can choose which one you turn to, Proverbs 14, 12, or Proverbs 16, 25. And uh, so if you feel like that preacher's not going to tell me what to do, well, you can just go against my first instruction, go with the second one, Proverbs 14, 12, or Proverbs 16, 25. The young people can be dismissed at this time while you're turning there. Thank you uh, for that, and uh, appreciate Brother Jeremy being so willing to uh, teach them and Miss Esther. Proverbs 14.12 Yesterday we had a wedding and, and sometimes the Lord uses circumstances like that to put things on the heart of a pastor and uh, when he puts something on my heart I want to share with you and I think that this is something today that might be a help uh, because of what's going on and what's on our mind today I'm going to deal with what could be a very sensitive subject at which I'm sure Many of you will probably disagree with me and think that I'm a little off base, but I, I, I'm asking you to do something for me. Hear me out before you make any judgments, okay? Don't get up and leave in the middle. Uh, there was a church years ago that asked D.L. Moody, a pastor asked D.L. Moody to come and preach uh, to the church, and the pastor was embarrassed because he said a lot of people, they get up and leave halfway through the service. And, and he, was, he was trying to tell, you know, pastor, you didn't want D.L. Moody to be embarrassed in front of him and and Moody said, you know, I think, uh, I think I can work with that. that that'll be all right. And so D.L. Moody got up and in the pulpit. He began and said, the first half of my sermon today is for the saints. The second half is for the sinners. And uh, I'm sorry. He said, the first half is for the sinners. The second half is for the saints. And everybody stayed till the end because obviously they don't want to be seen as a sinner. It would have helped if I'd have said that right. But uh, just stick around till the end. And uh, sometimes as a pastor also I feel that uh, this message, you might say, this is more appropriate for a youth group, but I think it's uh, helpful sometimes to deal with a young person subject in a general assembly because all of us have either young people or grandkids or we have influence over young people. And uh, so today we're going to deal with a young people subject that's uh, pertinent to every single one of us who have any influence as a parent or a grandparent. And uh, so let's read at verse, Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 12. The Bible says, There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof, the ways of death. If you read Proverbs 16, 25, you read the same thing. There is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Father, I pray you'd help us today. Lord, give us a little grace. I might say some things today that might prickle somebody as they hear it. And I, I just pray that uh, we all can't be on the exact same page and everything, but I pray that you just help give us some grace today to see what you have for us. And Lord, may I be a help. I don't want to hurt anyone. I want to be a help and help us to do that this day in Jesus' name. Amen. We see three things in this verse. The way is wrong. Right? We agree with that. The way seems right. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man. And the reason the way is wrong, because it ends wrong. That's what this verse is telling us. So the way seems right, the way is wrong, <coughs> and the reason why it's wrong is that it ends wrong. Now, truly, this should be the deciding factor in the appropriateness of any endeavor. How it ends. Uh, it may seem right, but if it ends wrong, it's not good. I heard a great preacher one time say, the end of something is more important than the beginning of it. 
If you were here for Sunday school, you know my dad just said that in Sunday school. Amen? I take notes. See, I was listening. But how something ends determines the wisdom of its enterprise. For example, we'll use a couple examples, just not what our subject is today, but salvation by works. It sounds good, doesn't it? If I live a good life, <coughs> if I try my best, God will let me into heaven. It just makes sense. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. Doesn't that sound about right? It makes sense to each and every one of us that hear it. In fact, there is a world out there today that lives by that principle. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. You ask them, hey, do you know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And they'll say, well, I think so. I'm a good person. So that's the thinking. Uh, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But then the Bible destroys that premise with verses like this, Romans chapter, 10, uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the day, way and become together unprofitable. They are, are none that doeth good. No, not one. So what the Bible tells us then is that we, what we consider good, God does not. In fact, Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6, the Bible says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and our, all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. That is not that you shouldn't have righteousness. This is a comparison verse. Our righteousness compared to God's righteousness is like filthy rags. There's none good. And so this, uh, the Bible, one of the things I like about the Bible is it tells it like it really is. The Bible doesn't pull punches. It doesn't mince words. It just tells it like it is. James, I think of James, that preacher, when he was talking about uh, the, some of the people were going against God and, and uh, living for themselves. And he says, you adulterers and adulteresses. That's some strong language coming from a preacher, isn't it? The Bible tells it like it is. So all of us, then, according to the Bible, are unclean. We're sinners, every one of us. There's none good. So the premise that good people go to heaven is shot to smithereens because the Bible says no one's good. Well, then it tells, the Bible tells us what we do earn. And here it gets even more depressing. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages, that's something you earn, that's a paycheck of sin, is death. There you go, God says. That's what you're earning. You're earning death. You're not going to earn heaven, but you earn death because of our sin. And so this puts a different picture on it. Uh, that's why, uh, and by the way, the reason that this is such a bad thing, the salvation by works, is not because it doesn't seem right to us, it does, but it ends really bad. If you put your faith in your works, it ends badly. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof, the ways of death. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 22, many will say unto me that day, oh, they are going to be... Uh, heartbroken Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not in thy name cast out devils? In thy name done wonderful works, and I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It seems good, but it ends bad. And so it is bad. I thank God, though, for the second part of Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Because what we cannot earn, he gives. If you're in here today, friend, and you never accepted that free gift of salvation, don't leave without making that decision today. Now, how a thing ends is extremely important. <clears throat> Let me give you another example before we get into our subject for today. Raising kids 
without discipline. A few years ago, the parenting world became enamored with one named Dr. Benjamin Spot, before some of your times and maybe some of you remember. He wrote books on child rearing along with his most famous book, Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care. He influenced generations of parents since then. Spock encouraged understanding and flexibility on the part of parents. He stressed the importance of listening to children, letting them vent their feelings and express their frustrations, and we need to learn to appreciate their individual differences. He hated and wrote against corporal punishment. He promoted the child's right to express themselves, and by express themselves, if that includes throwing a fit and kicking and, and uh, scratching and clawing at mom and dad. They're just expressing themselves. So several generations tried to have good kids with no discipline. And it seems right. To, to carnal thinking, it seems right. I'm always kind to my children. I never raise my voice. All I do is show kindness and re in return and such gratefulness. They will obey me and honor me in everything I say. You ever work the nursery? So to work the nursery one service, and you'll understand that's a bunch of bunk. Nobody's going to uh, buy into that that has kids. But that's the thinking. And so it seems right. That phrase that I use often, so good, give a boy and a pig everything they want, you'll have a good pig and a bad boy. You can't give your kids everything they want. Now I ask you, this idea, generational idea, of giving kids what they want, letting them express themselves, and not punishing and not correcting, how has it ended? I would submit today, it hasn't ended well. We today have a generation of entitled brats who take to the streets when they don't get what they want. Today, yesterday's child kicking on the grocery floor is today's young person rioting and looting. It ends badly, and so it shows us how the practice is bad because of how it ends. <clears throat> I believe in discipline for our children. Proverbs 23, 13, withhold not correction from the child. The Bible says, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Now, only a fool is going to look at the Bible and think that the Bible is for uh, or condones the hitting and abusing of children. That is not at all what the Bible is talking about. But done correctly, correction and discipline is absolutely necessary in the raising of children. My parents are here today, and I praise God that they believed in discipline because my brothers desperately needed it. The few times that I was disciplined, most of the time it was unfair and misunderstanding and not my fault. I'm not bitter, I'm just saying that's how it went down. Now, is discipline pleasant? No. No, but the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 11, now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous. Never turn around while you're getting a spanking. Thank you for loving me enough to, you know, it doesn't seem joyous during the time. But grievous, nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's not what I'm here to talk about today. Today I want to address modern dating practices. The dating deception. This has been on my heart since yesterday we married off a young couple. And I can't think today of one thing that seems more right, yet ends more disastrously 
than modern dating practices. We accept it. We accept sometimes the world's thinking on it. And so let's talk about it today. As a youth pastor dealing with young people, I saw very few things or struggled with very few things greater than what became my enemy of dating. Distractions of dating. You may, uh, you know, what does it distract from, you ask? Uh, Parents' direction, for one. You may have a rule against texting past 10 p.m. You might have uh, a curfew. You might have all kinds of things. I'm sure if your home is like most homes, you have the rules for your children and lights off by a certain time and, and uh, all these things. And then she meets him or he meets her. You who have children, remember the transformation when that happens. Uh, the time in their life. Dad is the hero. Mom is revered. Children will listen and get involved and play games with the parents and do these things. Then she meets him and he meets her. And soon you see a difference in attitude and you see resentment and disrespect. Parents' direction. God's will. I've seen this over and over too. There's a submission to God's will for their life, a sweetness about desiring his leadership and his guidance. Then she meets him or he meets her. We have, used to run a bus uh, ministry for several years. Bus kids who would come every week, they'd be excited. They'd learn the verses. They'd sing the songs. Then they'd turn about 13, 14 years old. It was very rare for me to be able to keep kids on the bus past about the age of 14. Distracted. Uh, as a bus captain, it, I saw it. As a youth pastor, I saw it. Now, again, I forewarn you, this may not be the most feel-good message that you've heard I have nothing to gain, dear friend, by hurting you. I have nothing to gain by offending you. I don't want to do that at all. I want to help you, give some advice. I don't have all the answers by any means. I've made a lot of mistakes, and yet there's a few things we have, but my wife and I put into, our, into practice in our family that's been a help to us, and so if I can do that today, I certainly want to help you. <coughs> I will share some of my personal family standards. I am not telling you you have to be just like me or you have to do the same thing uh, or what you have to. I just want to help, hopefully be a help to you in that way. And I know there are exceptions to every rule, but we're not here to talk about the exceptions. We're here to talk about the rule and some dangers in the dating deception. Is that fair? All right, let's get started with that. And uh, by the way, let me start off by saying I think it is a good thing for boys to like girls and girls to like boys. Amen? That's a good thing. It's a good thing for a boy to know he is a boy and a girl to know she is a girl. Amen? Never thought I'd have to say that in front of a crowd of people uh, cl- to, as clarification, but that's a good thing. And so I'm all for it. I, had to, I w- always try to express this to my children. I'm not against it. One day, one, I remember one day one of my daughters came. She was about 14 years old, and she was weeping. And I have to talk to you, Dad, and she was crying, and we went outside. It was a nice night. We went outside where we could be by ourselves, and she confessed that she had a crush on someone. That's all right. I said, that's a good thing, you know. It's not a bad thing because uh, we'll go into a little bit later the rules that we had. And so uh, she was guilty about it. Hey, it's a good thing for boys to like girls and girls to like boys. And so I'm not against that at all. But we need to recognize that we have a problem. And we have a problem in our tolerance. What we tolerate today by the world's standards staggers the my imagination as a father. Why anyone would send their 14-year-old girl skimpily dressed to a dance with a 15-year-old tomcat is beyond me. I don't understand it. And yet that's what's happening all across America. Sir, do you remember where your 
thoughts concerning girls and your priorities were at 15? I'll just leave it there. Yet by the world's standards, the physical contact in dating that we allow <coughs> in the lives of our teenagers who really have no concept of self-control, it's staggering. By Christian standards, it's not much better. We push our girls. Who do you like? Do you have a boyfriend? We look at, at couples, young uh, teen couples, and oh, they're just so adorable. A couple years ago, I was driving our church bus, and we were picking up kids, and, and I had uh, uh, two boys behind my, uh, behind, in the front seat behind, and, and you overhear as you drive, especially me, because I always try to eavesdrop. And so uh, we're, we're driving, and the boys are talking, and one of the boys, nine years old, is telling his buddy about two of his exes. He has a girlfriend, and he's having issues with his exes. He's nine! I wanted to stop the bus and, you know, come on! Nine years old, talking about your exes. We have a problem. We have a problem with divorce. Now, we can all agree, I think, divorce is not part of God's plan. Okay? And I'm not here to beat you up if you're, if you're divorced. That's not what that's about. Look, things happen, and uh, God is not done with you if you're divorced. All right? That's, that's very clear. God will still use you. It's not in God's plan. It's not God's will. God's will is that you're together to love to Marriage is a perfect institution, but the people that are in marriage are not. And so things happen. However, I believe divorce is related to our dating practices. Meet Date, break up. Meet, date, break up. Meet, date, break up. Meet, date, break up. Meet, marry. See you know what I'm saying? I just think there's a pattern there. And uh, I think that if we are put a little more attention on this and a little more focus on this, it might help us. I go to summer camp. We'll be there in a few weeks. And it's always funny because watching the young people, there can be a relationship that begins, matures, sours, and ends, and it's just Tuesday. We've got time for like three or four more. I mean, we're talking, uh, and, and so you kind of watch that, and it's kind of funny. Sometimes it's humorous, but it's not humorous to them. It's not humorous to young people. It's, it can devastate. It can hurt. It can ruin the emotional security that you as a parent are trying to instill in them. And uh, it's something we have to think about. Today we have bigger battles with texting. Uh, texting can be done really on the sly. You don't know what's going on sometimes, and texting can be uh, very private. In my day, and yours probably too, we had a phone that was tethered to the wall. That's right, kids. It was not only on the wall, it was tethered there. It had a, it had a cord, long squiggly cord, and you could only go so far. And you know what my wonderful father did in our home? He put the phone on the wall, and the tether was about that long. He put it on the wall, and his desk is right here where he is studying most of the day. Remember that, Mom? The phone was right here. Dad's right here. You know how embarrassing it is to stand on the phone? No, you say goodbye first. No, no, you say goodbye first. No, you say bye. When Dad's right here listening to everything that's going on, it was a little bit different when we were being raised. Today, we have a little more of a problem. What are you doing today to prepare your child, grandchild, teenager for life? And that question prompts the next problem. 
no preparation for marriage. Uh, I have a question that I ask teenage girls all the time, especially as a youth pastor, 15, 16, 17-year-old girls. And when I ask this question, they look at me like, like a calf looking at a new gate, completely confused. Uh, questions, these are hard. These are hard questions. Can you cook? Do you do the laundry in your house? I'm thinking of the newly married girl. Just got married and honeymoon's over. They moved into their apartment and her husband said, you know, I, he had prepared the apartment and said, I got everything. I did get a vacuum cleaner, so we need to get a vacuum cleaner. So she went to the store and she got a vacuum cleaner, <coughs> brought it home, <coughs> and several days later, she's back at the store and tells the salesman, this vacuum cleaner is defective. It doesn't work. Uh, I tried to use it. It doesn't pick up anything. And so he says, well, let me take a look. And he takes the vacuum cleaner. And he plugs it in. He turns it on. She jumps back. Whoa, what is that noise? Okay, come on now. Help me out. Girls ought to know how to vacuum. Amen. Do you clean your room? Questions like that. Now, a teenager, and I'm serious. This is how they'll think, why is that important? Let me ask you, married folks, is that important? Yes, that's important. It becomes really important after the, the Twitter-patedness wears off. It becomes really important then. We as parents, though, is, are often too busy to teach stuff like that. We're focusing on, do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a girlfriend? That type of thing. We prepare them to date, but we do not prepare them for life. That's a problem, not only in our society, but in our Christian circles as well. In my home, we've always had a rule, no dating until college. It makes life really simple. Our kids just don't date until college. A few years ago, I had to laugh when my uh, wife was standing back there, and one of the bus girls, uh, at that time my son was like 15, and uh, one of the girls came up to my wife and said, Hey, can your son date? And she says, Sure. Sure, when he's in college. Do you want to wait? It'll only be three, four years. And she didn't want to wait. It was kind of funny. But uh, that was the rule that we had. Now, when I was about, not, not that they didn't date, because they did date. They dated me because about seven years old, when they turned about seven, until still today, I still got a few at home. Lost one yesterday, but still got a few at home. We do date nights. Monday night was and is date night. And they still get dressed up and uh, uh, if they're old enough, put on some makeup. And we have a special time together. And I have made a, a concentrated attempt with them as we go on these dates and we talk much about life and about their plans. And we never, ever discuss boyfriends. But we talk all the time about husbands. Uh, yesterday, I, I mentioned during the wedding, I told Caleb, we've talked about you for 12 years, and we have. He's been the topic of our discussions, and we've talked about him, and not knowing who he was when Lydia was just a, a young girl, we discussed him. Where do you think he's at? Where is he being raised? What kind of a family is he in? And uh, what type of a person will he be? A husband not talking about boyfriends. And expectations of how to be a wife, how to treat a husband, the emotional nuances of men. That was a very short date that night, but uh, uh, the... The uh, all kinds of things we talked about. And the same goes for boys. They're going to be a husband one day. They'll be a father one day. They need to know how to get up early. They need to know how to work. Hey, jobs usually don't like when you show up at noon. Amen? 
They need to know how to do these things. Hey, can you think of why it might be important why your teen son needs to know how to work? But oh no, not today. Today he streams Netflix four hours a day, plays video games for six hours, but he's got a girlfriend. We've got a problem, you understand? And I'm not trying to be mean. I love our young people. I'm just telling you, I believe we have a bit of a problem in how we focus on these things. We are not preparing them for the first institution that God put into place, which is marriage. He didn't put place in place dating. He put in place marriage, all right? Now, second thing. Recognize that marriage and family are the primary focus in life. Have you ever noticed the focus of Hollywood? Cinderella, Snow White. I'm not a big Disney princess fan, so I, that's about all I know. Okay, those, those and the others. Uh, you'd have to ask Brother Corey for more. He's, uh, what, is, what happens in those movies? Always the same thing. The movie ends with the wedding. All, that's the capstone of everything is the wedding. The marriage is an afterthought, not even really discussed. They focus on everything. The, the fairy tale is about falling in love and the big, beautiful wedding. Wait, you might ask as you're watching those movies, what happens after that? Well, you know the answer what happens after that. In fact, you can say it along with me. Are you ready? They live happily ever after. Is that real life? No. Love is a dream. Marriage is the alarm clock. Amen. There's going to be some problems. There's going to be some buyer's remorse once in a while after you're married. When, then, why then do we condition them to just prepare for the wedding and not talk about what's really important and that's what happens after that? It's a problem in our day and age. It's not good because the wedding is just the beginning. We need to teach them about life. You still with me? All right. You still love me? Don't answer that. We'll continue. Now, a couple of points. Dating is not in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying don't do it or it's sin. Golfing is not in the Bible either, and I enjoy that greatly. Amen? So, I, but instead of making dating the main thing, I'm simply saying today we ought to focus our preparation for our young people for marriage. Pray with your daughter and your son about their future husband. Don't talk about dating. Talk about marriage. One day they're going to be a wife, a husband, a mother, a father. Talk to them about that. <coughs> one of my daughters, we were on a date one night and together we wrote, she was about 13, and we wrote a letter to her future husband. And she wrote about things she hoped he would be and things that she uh, hoped they would be able to do together in life and, and all these things. And you know what that did? All those grease bombs walking around her in school didn't distract her one bit. She wasn't thinking about dating. She was thinking about one day she'd go marry someone. I'm talking about a different focus. And it's not that hard. All you have to do as a parent is just change their focus. That's what you talk about. That's what you be, get them excited about. And uh, my... And, and it's not true for all of them. I have six daughters. Everyone is totally different, okay? But uh, for, for the large part, uh, the, the large majority of our daughters, they're not interested at all in dating. They're thinking about marriage. So here's the vibe that we throw out to our kids. It's unintentional, but this is the vibe we throw out. When you're a teenager, you get to date 
You get to be romantic. You get to fall in love and have fun. Then you get married. That's the vibe we throw out, isn't it? I mean, I remember, and all respect and blessing to my grandmother. I remember when I told my grandmother I was getting married. Why would you want to do that? Enjoy your youth. And uh, that's a sign that maybe marriage wasn't so successful in that. Well, we won't go there. But uh, marriage is something that, that, uh, that it's not, the, it's not the, the mood killer, all right? That's life. And so we want to prepare them for it. Shame on us. Our children should see romance in our marriages. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. This bothers me. Uh, kids will be watching TV, and some dopey armpit of a kid will kiss a girl. Oh, that's so romantic. But when mom plants one on dad or dad plants one on mom, ew! You ever notice that? Now, let me tell you something. This is a little inside baseball here. But can I tell you a secret? They may say gross, but deep down, they love it. They need it. That gives them security like you can't imagine. The best thing a man can do, a father can do, is love their mother. The best thing a mother can do is love their father. And they need it. I don't care how much they say gross, keep on going. Uh, they need to see romance. They need to see love. I'm simply saying marriage should be the primary focus, not dating. We need to make, what we do is we make the process more important than the product. And I just want to say, make sure we have our focus right. Here's one I love. But we're just friends. Ever heard that one, Mom and Dad? We're just friends. Corey and I are friends. He's never asked me out on a date. Amen. I'd be way out of his league if he did. But uh, I'm sorry, I keep picking on you today. I don't, he's just there. He's right so free and uh, probably wouldn't be friends if he'd ask me anymore but but often the uh, point is often uh, listen we, we, I want to talk about this in a minute here because we need to be friends but often just friends give off their time energy and spirituality to each other that should be reserved for the one now shouldn't our boys and girls be friends absolutely in our youth group we had 17 outs one <coughs> they ought to be friends. If you wouldn't mind, Tanner Toots, if you'd come forward for a minute and help me out here with an illustration. This is Tanner in Bible college. He's a, actually one of my, uh, he goes to my dad's church. Will you step right up here? Um, C.S. Lewis talked about friendship, and he talked about two different types of friendship. He talked about shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder friendship. And this is, by the way, where most, really, the friendship of men uh, is mostly this type of friendship, shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder friendship. Then he talks about a different type of friendship, if you'll turn this way, face-to-face -face friendship. <laughs> oh, stick close. Is it awkward for you? Okay. A little awkward for him and me. Do you see the difference? So this is the type of friends I think our young people ought to be, shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. But that face-to-face -face friendship ought to be reserved. And you don't want to have that face-to-face -face friendship uh, with every person you run across, which is what seems to kind of be encouraged once in a while. Thank you. You may be seated. Today, our modern dating practices are creating scenarios for face-to-face -face friendships. When they really ought to be shoulder to shoulder. I encourage that with my kids and our youth group. When I was a youth pastor, I wanted them to be friends. They ought to be friends, but 
uh, that face-to-face is a different type of friendship. Yesterday, I gave my daughter's hand to young man Caleb Byram. Uh, he was the first one she ever loved. He was the, she was the first, or he was the first one she ever held hands with. And yesterday, if you were here or you watched online, you saw the first time they ever kissed, and it's the first time she ever kissed a man, other than me on the cheek. Uh, guys should be friends with girls. Uh, they should have that, but, but I think there's something special in reserving yourself for that one. Lydia and I often talked about him, though we had no idea who he was. And this is one thing that uh, I tried to teach our daughters on our dates. Now, I want to give you a little bit of an object lesson, and it's hard because I don't have the object. I meant to get something together. It's it's using a sticker. And since I'm not a seven-year-old girl, I don't have any stickers on me, okay? But uh, you can, let's just mime it. I've got a sticker in my hand, okay? I stick it on the back of my hand, rip it off, and I stick it on the front of my hand, tear it off, pull my sleeve back, stick it on my arm, tear it off. Do you know what happens to that sticker every time it is applied and taken back off? It loses just a little bit of its stickiness. Just a little bit of that adhesiveness is lost. And as a father, I don't want to offer my daughter's heart, who's been stuck on so many times, it has been desensitized to her husband, she's supposed to be with her whole life. That make any sense? That's my desire. Now again, I know I'm not 100% successful in this with all of the girls in my family. I know that. I'm, not, I'm just saying that's the thing that we attempted to do. Number three, God designed purity as a positive. The intimate relationship between a man and a woman is a gift to marriage. The devil did not create sex. God did. That is a gift to marriage. In marriage, it brings glory to God. The Bible says in Hebrews 13:4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. You remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife? Uh, she is constantly casting her eyes on him, trying to be immoral with him. And uh, the Bible says in Genesis 39:4, one time she actually grabbed him and she started to make advances toward him. And he, he, the Bible says he let out of his coat that she had event, uh, essentially had a hold of. The Bible says she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled. Love these next words. And got him out. I like that. I know he had convictions. I know he said that this is a sin against God. But part of this was one day, I'm going to have a wife someday. I'm not going to give you what I reserve for my wife. That was part of it. Here's a good saying we use all the time. And I know we mean well. Stay pure until you're married. You know, purity goes past marriage. Purity doesn't end at marriage. If you save yourself as you should for the one that you marry, then you remain pure because purity is, is uh, that life together. That intimate relationship within marriage is still pure. It still honors God. So don't stay pure until marriage. Stay pure until death. Amen. That's what we want to tell you. Purity is the idea of saving yourself for one. 
the Bible tells us over and over that we ought to stay theologically pure. This is a greater concept than just the physical. We are to save ourselves theologically. Uh, all of our worship, our energy, and our heart, we're supposed to save for one. That's a pure heart. Purity is, the whole idea is reserving yourself for one. The Bible says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. In the scope of dating, I don't want my daughter to give her heart and her emotions to six different men before I then give her on the altar to her husband. That's my desire. I don't want my son to marry a girl who's been in 14 relationships. I mean, it happens. You understand. I'm just talking about the rule, not the exception. These things happen. People get saved. They have backgrounds. I'm not talking about they're all trash. You're going to throw them out. I'm just talking about the ideal of my desire for my children. For that reason, I believe this strongly. I don't believe a 16-year-old needs to be in an exclusive relationship. I don't believe it. And in my home, it just wasn't going to happen. Oh, some tried. Daddy broke it up. It's just not going to happen. It, it does not do my 16-year-old daughter or my 16-year-old son any spiritual good to be in a committed relationship with the opposite sex. Should they be friends? Absolutely. But you tell me, I challenge you, tell me one good thing it does for them, spiritually, and as a, as a, it, for their character, to be in a committed relationship at age 13, 14 years old. It doesn't. Your relationship, young lady, should be with your dad. Your relationship should be, young man, with your mom. Uh, those are the type of focus that should be, as a family, as they uh, help you grow. By the way, sir, don't give your daughter away at age 14. Give her away at the altar uh, when God has that in his plan. Now, for years, I struggled with an account in the Bible. It's found in Genesis chapter 19. You don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you about it. But the story of Lot, you're probably familiar with it. Lot was, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the Bible talks about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob lived in tents. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, they had their eyes on the better city, one not made with hands. So they lived in tents. They were just sojourners. They were passing through. And uh, because they, they, they lived in tents because they didn't, this world wasn't their home. They had their eyes on a better city. We are better off, friends, if we live knowing this is not our home. This is a, we have a better home waiting for us. It, Lot got in trouble when he got rid of his tent and bought a house and started living in the world. If we live in the world, and like this is our home, then we're going to get in trouble too. Not my point, but thought, you know, something, you come and you're so faithful, I have to throw three, three things your way sometimes. So here's Genesis 19, and Lot's living in Sodom now. God's about to destroy it. Two angels try to come and get him and his family out of the city. And these two are spotted by wicked Sodomites, who wanted to have relations with them. We're talking just wickedness, wickedness. Lot was horrified, as he should be. Begged that they not do anything to these two men. And I want to read a verse to you. Fathers, if you have daughters, listen to this verse very closely. Behold now, here's Lot, I have two daughters which have not known man. It means they were virgins, they were innocent, they were pure. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and you can do with them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. 
rapists, sodomites. And he said, don't, don't, these are my visitors, these are my guests. I've got two daughters here. They haven't ever been with any men. You can just take them. Do with them what you will. Just think about that for a second. Think about the, I mean, I've got daughters. Just think about how horrible that is. And for, I'm telling you, it was a long time. I know all through Bible college, I was read that once in a while, and that just bothered me. I was just, because here's what bothered me. Not that he did that, which is bad enough, but then in, in 2 Peter 2, 7, the Bible says that Lot was just and delivered, just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them. I, I struggle with that. How are you going to call him righteous? He offers his girl, his innocent girls, to these wicked, wicked men. And yet the Bible calls him righteous. Being the father of daughters, I had a problem with that in light of such vile wickedness. How in the world? One day I was studying that passage and a, a thought hit me. You know what Lot really did? All Lot really did was he handed his daughters off to their environment. Now, granted, it was a pretty bad environment. But that's really all he did. And how different is it really today when we allow our culture to dictate how we raise our children? I, for one, don't want to hand my children over to our society's idea of how things ought to be done. I want to do it God's way, not the world's way. My children, and hey, your children, they're far too valuable to give to society's wicked ideas of how to raise them. Number four, recognize God's plan for finding a spouse. Uh, there should be a preparation as we raise our children. Not a preparation to date again, but a preparation to be husbands and wives. Give them jobs. I believe she ought to learn how to cook. I think he ought to learn how to work. Did you know that most, most high school graduates today could not tell you how to write a check? I know checks are yesterday's news. I have a son-in-law who's raising a family, and I don't think he's ever written a check. I, I know it's a yesterday thing, but uh, I'm just using that as an example. We ought to learn those things. Before marriage, a man yearns for the woman he loves. After marriage, the why becomes silent. It becomes earns, folks. Okay, I can't, I can't explain every joker. We'd be here all day, all right? He yearns, then he earns, all right? But we ought to teach them these things, all right? They're going to have to make a life. Number, uh, parents, not only should there be pre uh, preparation, but parents should be involved. Here's the devil's lie. Tells our children this, that a child knows much better than mom and dad at the person they ought to be with for all their life. If, if parents are involved, when you choose your mate, they're going to pick up the ugliest, homeliest, nerdiest loser imaginable. That's the, that's the lie the devil tells our kids. I do, can't, can't let mom and dad get near this process. Honestly though, dad, let me ask you this. When your daughter comes home with a 19-year-old guy from college or wherever he comes from, don't you think or don't you agree with me that you can discern more about him in five minutes than she can in five months? 100%. I've done it a numerous times already. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. They can't. They're, 
they're all up in the Twitter-pated universe, floating around in the dream and puddle of love. They have no idea what's going on. And dad can, can discern. You know what mom can do with a girl that your son brings home? Mom can spend five, ten minutes with her, and she can tell a whole lot about her, her character. And, and you can't because she's amazing. She's the best-looking girl on campus. By the way, best-looking girl on campus, I have the time now, and uh, the beauty queens of my campus, Facebook is around today. I don't need to go there. You, know, you understand where I'm going. It don't last forever, friends. That's all I'm saying. Beauty is skin deep. Ugly is to the bone. Amen. Just trying to be honest with you today, okay? Keep mom and dad involved. Mom and dad ought to be involved. And I taught this to our teens for years. By the way, Nick's going to teach this to our teens too. Mom and dad ought to be involved in your life. They ought to help you. and They ought to be, be uh, a part of your counsel for this. When we are emotion, this is just a human fact. When we're emotionally involved in any decision, we don't see clearly when we're emotionally involved. The brain is one of the most amazing organs in the world. It works 24-7, 365, from the day of your birth to the day you fall in love. The brain works. You know what happens after that? You need some help. You need some input. You need some counsel. Because once you once that it just has a way of shutting off at that point. That's why a young person, the Bible says a multitude of counselors are safety. When all he can see is a pretty face, mom can offer some great discernment. When all she can see is the puppy dog eyes, dad can offer some good judgment. And lots of times puppy love has led to a dog's life. And that's not what I want for my children. The best I can for them. Parents should be involved. All right. Pastors should be involved. Now, that's where I lost some of you, but stay with me. A wise young person, I believe, ought to consult their pastor. uh, God has put him over your spiritual condition. He's responsible for you. He's your spiritual leader. God will give your pastor wisdom and discernment that you don't have. In our life, really, when it comes down to it, we really only make about six or seven uh, decisions. I mean, big ones. We make... When it comes to major life-altering decisions, we don't make that many. This is one of them. It's the most important decision after salvation that we are making. We ought to get some input. We ought to get some wisdom. We ought to get some counsel. And uh, I believe that that pastor ought to be involved. Here are some of the rules that I have set up in my home. And uh, you can just take it for what it's worth. Don't date. Wait. Wait until college. Wait until you're old enough to be married. We don't date for the sake of dating. We date to find the right one for marriage. That's what we do, and that's just what I've taught my children. When you're ready, are you, and I'll ask a young person sometimes, uh, 12, oh, yes, I have a boyfriend. Really? Are you ready to get married? Well, no. That's kind of how I look at it. When you're ready to get married, that's when you date. That's, that's the way I believe that it ought to be. All right? So I was just going to keep talking about it. Somebody said amen. Thanks, Dan. Uh, number next here, use a chaperone. You know... You know that you'll treat that young lady differently if her dad's around? If you're in South Dakota, he'll shoot you if you try anything to do anything that's wrong. But I'm saying, set up some fence. And a lot of times I've talked to young people and they look at you like you're the craziest, most old-fashioned, out-of-space person in the world. Date with my parents? We had a wonderful time with, with, with our kids, with with all three of our married kids that are here, and, and we, we had a great time double dating with them and getting to know the, 
the young man they're interested in and, and growing with them. And we, we've, we've always had a wonderful time. I think that's a, it's a fun thing when you do it right, when you do it God's way. Amen? It can set you the right direction. Set up fences. Do everything you can to stay pure. Number next, don't act married till you get married. You're asking for trouble if you put yourself in a situation or a position where the flesh will take over. The foundation for marriage should be mature emotional development. Leave the physical out of it until you're married. That's what it's supposed to be. That's why we have, we have with ours, they have to use chaperones. And they have to have people with them. That job fell to Micah. He's, he's just heartbroken that this week he's free from all that and can hang out with Pastor Forsberg again. Now, last week he was used for, for a chaperone and it wasn't the most fun thing in the world. But uh, you, we, we try to just give that protection. And you say, don't you trust your kids? I don't trust myself. Why would I trust my kids? Men, I set up fences for myself. I don't go out to dinner or lunch or have a meeting with a, uh, over coffee with a woman by myself. I don't do it. Why would I have my kids do it? So we, have, we need to have some common sense about it. See, what we, we make the mistake of doing, well, that's how everybody does it. doesn't have to be the way I do it. You know what your mom said, if everybody jumped off a cliff, would you go, you know, you know the story. So let's just do right. Can we hold hands? Mom and dad, you can hold hands and it not mean anything. Really? Come here, Tanner, let's illustrate this. No, I'm just kidding. We still friends? Okay. He's going to run when church is over, Amen. Young people, we're not against you. We're for you. We want your... By the way, Dad, you're not here to make your 18-year-old happy. You're here to make sure that when they're 28, 38, 48, 58, they're still happy. That's what we're here for. We're not here to appease the carnal desires of our teenagers. We're here to direct them. We're here to parent them. They don't need friends. They have enough friends. I like to be friends with my kids, but that's not what my primary purpose is. I'm called to be a father. And as grandparents, now I've got grandchildren, I want to instill in them some of these things. And I know that <coughs> there's a frustration there because you can't really be the supreme controller, but you can have an influence, and I ask you to have the right one. Let's do what we can for our young people. The marriage relationship is so wonderful that it is a picture in the Bible of Christ and the church. Jesus calls himself our bridegroom. We're his bride. John the Baptist speaking about Jesus in John 3.29, he says, he, hath the, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. As believers in Jesus Christ, we wait him with great anticipation. We're waiting for that day when we're finally reunited with the bridegroom. Until then, let us stay faithful to him. Let us live our spiritual lives the way that I've been talking to in common sense physical lives with as uh, we're waiting for that marriage day. Can I tell you, just like it is, and I've tried to teach my children, it's not about the dating, it's about the marriage. And one day he'll return. I want to ask you today, are you ready for the bridegroom? Are you in that, uh, are, are you part of the bride? Are you saved? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We talked about so much this morning. Maybe you're a parent here, kids, young kids.